0: Alright, all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 102 of the SLS Cast. Yes, it is the emergency telephone number episode of the sls cast and and what i mean by that is 102 is the emergency telephone number for police in both ukraine and belarus yes i'm feeling better world i should let you know i mean i've got a little bit of the cold left over but at least i don't sound like i am some kind of slobbering icky thing
1: kathleen turner
0: sure we'll we'll do that we'll do that or for those of you familiar with uh it's always sunny in philadelphia um the the chick who sleeps tries to sleep with everybody she's really gross and uh yeah anyway I'm Matt, by the way.
1: And, you know, did you... I I heard recently that uh, if Chris Pratt was not going to be Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, the role would have gone to Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny. Did you know that? I did not. And I gotta say, I am
0: ecstatic that Glenn Howerton did not get it. Because while I think Glenn Howerton is fantastic... He he would not have done that role the justice that it needed to have been done.
1: It would have been extra smartassy, for sure. And I think everybody would yeah. be like, Oh, when's he gonna say D? Or when's he gonna say Charlie work? When's he gonna pull <laughs> all those one two gang punches?
0: It's Statley.
1: It's Statley. Well, I gotta tell you, life has been pretty cheerful the past couple days because i've got the four non-blondes stuck in my head and i think you know why
0: (laughs) good old (sighs) he-man yeah i posted that to twitter actually too so did you say that
1: you've watched that video before but that was your first time i've known about that
0: video for years yeah um and i've always watched like the first 10 seconds of the video maybe 10 20 seconds of that video so i knew what it was spoofing and you know i kind of like it and it's kind of cute and funny so and then people will reference that via gifs a lot uh especially you know on reddit and what have you but i'd never actually watched the whole two minutes and it was thoroughly entertaining i'm glad that i finally sat down and watched the whole two minutes for those of it you who it.
1: have no idea what the fuck Matt and Tim were talking about, they are referencing a YouTube video which somebody had mashed up various clips from the 1980s children's animated television classic entitled He Man Masters of the Universe. And in the background, playing is Four Non Blondes' classic song. What's it called? I only know it as the Hey What's Going On song. <laughs> Does, I mean, does it have uh, a name? Um, yes. <laughs> um. Hey, Nash, oh, it's called What's Up. Or, no, it's not. No. What's going on? It is called What's Going is, On. Is it What's Going On? Yeah. What's going on?
0: I, I, I intend to. Um, yeah. No, no. What's up? Really? Yeah, they hit the charts in 1993 with. Oh, hang on, let me see if I can do a little bit of Casey Kasem. They hit the charts in 1993 with "What's Up," their only major hit single.
1: I'm imagining. I'm I'm imagining. (laughs) I am imagining George Burns as Casey Kasem.
0: (laughs) Oh well, hey, that's two great, you know, people in the world.
1: Yeah, it sounded like you were kind of like sucking on something. Well, I mean, I'm not the
0: best at that. I'm just trying to, you know, have a little bit of fun with it, and you succeeded. Well, there you go. <sighs>
1: uh, what's going on? So, how about you? What, what have you been up to? Did you, uh, like, t- tell us about your 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 getting healthy? uh like what what you went through on your on your path to recovery from your your illness or whatever the hell it is you have. <laughs>
0: Uh, just lots of sleep, man. I mean, I still have a little bit of the congestion. Yeah, um, but I'm a very firm believer in boxes upon boxes of puffs plus the the kind that has the lotion in them, and you know, <laughs> handy masturbatory aid if needed, because then you don't have to have the separate lotion. You see, I just you use just, my girlfriend's
1: socks. You know.
0: Is that wrong? Well, as long as they're not the nylon ones, I suppose that's okay. And if you put them back in the drawer lovingly, then she can think of you every time she puts her socks on. <laughs>
1: you mean as you slowly try to like squish it into the drawer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cough it up. Yeah. Cough it up. There you go. See? Still a little bit left little bit left forgot to hit the mute on that sorry folks
1: well since we're on uh, talking about goofy mashed up videos i wonder if you've seen this one somebody and i saw this on a screencrush.com so somebody took the captain america winter soldier trailer and they created what they called the captain america winter soldier vhs trailer from well 2014 but it's supposed to be modeled to come out like in the late 80s, early 90s, so they took all these late 80s movie clips and mashed it up to Captain America Winter Soldier, but they also like, grained down the footage and made it standard definition not widescreen, so it looks super cheesy, and I gotta say, man, if you haven't seen that, you gotta check it out, if not, you have to watch the first like, 30 seconds of it uh, it is really funny, but they actually released a uh, an official plot to the Captain America Winter Soldier VHS film. And this is what it is, plot. The year is 2007. Crime is, an, is at an all-time high, and the law has a plan to wipe it out. Captain America, Chris Evans, a Vietnam vet who is given super strength by military scientist Abraham Erskine, <laughs> played by Cillian Murphy, is now America's new crime fighter, when he refuses to kill an innocent senator, he is backstabbed by the very people who made him. He's out for revenge. If you're going to make enemies, you better make sure it's not America. End all quotes. The classic 1980s, early 90s vibe going on there. Very grindhouse-y. So, uh, all, all of you folks out there. If you're interested, definitely check it out. It's on YouTube. I think it's just called Captain America Winter Soldier VHS trailer promotion. Well, um,
0: okay, that's very interesting. Shall we go ahead and get to the news, sir? The real news? Yes. The real news. All right, here we go, folks. It is the news. <laughs> So, we're going to try and keep this as tight as we can. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, since, Tim, you have more uh, news than I do, uh, you go first.
1: Tight, like using your girlfriend's sock?
0: That's two weeks in a row. That's two two weeks in a row.
1: I know. Okay, well. So
0: never again until, like, episode 200 can you do the news first. I wasn't
1: expecting it. Let me go put the socks back.
0: Oh, goodness gracious. Um, Don't wake her. Wicker, yeah, they are wool No, wake her, don't wake her
1: Waker? You know? Quaker? Well, isn't she sleeping? Did I tell you I was dating a Quaker?
0: Yes She makes yes. me wooden she furniture She converted to Quakerism, right? <laughs> She's, well, which is good because or Quakers shaker. are peaceful by nature And therefore won't beat your ass when you masturbate into their socks So this is good
1: They'll just scold me, point their finger at me And then make me a chair Eat
0: oatmeal Oh, right, sure, and make a chair too
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> so go, go first. <laughs> so my first piece of news is not regarding that stars just ordered a 10 episode half hour series of Evil Deadness and it is not news that not only Bruce Campbell will return to play Ash But Sam Raimi and original producer Rob Tappert will be returning as well. And the news is not over that this 10-episode, half-hour series will be called Ash vs. the Evil Dead and will take place after Army of Darkness. Nay, nor is my news over that Terry Gilliam is jump-starting his Don Quixote movie like for the 8th time. And my news is not about how Gilliam is not only prepping Jack O'Connell as his leading man for that Don Quixote movie. Nay, my news is this. Matt, my news is not about Matt. Don't worry about it. Who do you think, Matt, I'm asking you, who do you think is the best director of the last decade?
0: Ooh, that's tough.
1: Like off the top um, of your head I mean there's tons of, A lot of Angelina
0: Jolie I'm sorry Did you want a serious answer? I thought we're just You know Fucking around a little bit Um Serious Let's see Oh Uh J- right, James Wan Right? Insidious And uh, The Conjuring
1: Interesting But Saw Saw I mean He's done a lot of good work well, that is not according to John T. Roosevelt from roosevelts.com. It turns oh, out,
0: according well, to... I guess I need to get my own website then. <laughs> according to Matt Quinton from com, right?
1: <laughs> According to his statistical indisputable proof, Ben Affleck is the best director of the last decade. And this is what this article says. Again, from the com. it says this... They took, um, they used Rotten Tomatoes as their source for, uh, for their movie ratings because they think that, uh, the tomato meter is very, is a very unique rating system and that's pretty much their justification right there, (laughs) right there. So there's really no science to it. It's just kind of interesting. Um, it, it says this quote, their system is built by its staff first collecting online reviews from writers who are certified members of various writing guilds or film critic associations, then aggregating them together for a mean score. Essentially, we took every movie each director in our pool of top directors has made in the past decade and averaged out their scores based on their collective tomato meter score. To bring these stars to life, we've collaborated with visual agency Column 5 in their visual data software arm, Visage, to create and automate these reports. As you'll see, we've ranked each one of these directors from lowest average score all the way up to the top of the food chain. And so the results are in, and it looks like as though the butt-chinned superstar of such box office gems such as Geely daredevil and reindeer games makes much better calculated decisions when it comes to directing of course with only three movies under his belt affleck doesn't have the sample size as the rest of the pack so we'll have to wait and see if the man who was the bomb in phantoms has what it takes to wear a beret and puffy pants with the big boys wait directors really dress like that Right? And they have a list of directors. So they have 11 directors. Ron Howard is one of them. Clint Eastwood is another. Ang Lee, Steven Spielberg, Wes Anderson, QT Tarantino, Coen Brothers, Chris Nolan, Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, and Ben Affleck. Personally, I would have said David Fincher would have been uh, my personal top favorite director important director of the past decade if i would if it was the past 20 years or the past 30 years i would have gone with martin scorsese martin Sc- or even spielberg but i guess spielberg is kind of a cop-out for things like this it's kind of like well obviously he's a real good director but i gotta say i think this whole not only is this article but this whole study is stupid and it doesn't make sense, because the whole point of getting having statistics and ranking people is if everybody has a fair shot. Everybody has to have the same amount of material to pass a judgment on. Especially if you're judging holding everybody to the same uh, to the same level. Like they like I mentioned a while ago, Ben Affleck has four movies. The Rotten Tomato scores for are for. Gone Baby Gone, ninety four. The Town, ninety four. Argo, ninety five. And then uh, the a- uh, he only has three movies. Pardon me, but their average altogether is ninety four point six seven. But David Fincher, Zodiac, eighty nine. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, seventy two. Social Network, ninety six. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, eighty six. Gone Girl, eighty eight. His average is only eighty six point two. And. Ben Affleck only directed three movies. David Fincher, on here at least, is five. I mean, they are missing—they uh, are missing Alien Three, but it's not. I guess not missing too much. But even like Martin Scorsese, he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies on here. You know, and they're not counting. Uh, Raging Bull is not even a part of this, so I mean, it's kind of kind of cheap. In a way, i got to be honest. What do you think, Matt? Do you think this is a little ridiculous? or I think you're... I believe
0: you're kind of going out of the scope because it says just the last decade. So, given oh. that they're only taking the movies from this decade, I can see why he came up with that. But, even still, three movies, I don't know, is not exactly... I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're just going to do it by the, by the top three movies of everybody, then, okay... I guess maybe Ben Affleck wins, um, if you're. But I think that it's just it's a little too easy just to simply define it by strictly Rotten Tomatoes because for me, again, there's people like James Wan, right, who've been who who are introducing all these new franchises, really doing cool things. Uh, you've got people like David Fincher who are always making great great original stuff, uh, for better or for worse. Christopher Nolan, um, with the kind of stuff he's been pulling, and. Uh, Than Martin Scorsese, even in the, I mean, even his last three movies, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for what's been going on in this last decade. But I, I guess, I don't know. I guess if you're just trying to limit it to one set of criteria, and then one that person comes out, I suppose the idea would just be to try not to skew the criteria. Um, so that only one person you want would come out. But, yeah, it's weird. But it's fun. We're talking about it. So there's that, I guess, which is nice. Yeah, but speaking of people just kind of picking shit because that's how they feel that it should be picked, from LATimes.com, courtesy of Glenn Whip, Hollywood Film Awards and Dubious History land in prime time. Two years ago, Quentin Tarantino sheepishly walked onto the stage of the Beverly Hilton Hotel's ballroom to collect a Hollywood Film Awards screenplay prize for his gonzo western, Django Unchained. The movie wouldn't arrive in theaters for nine more weeks. Quote, It's strange to get an award while I'm still in the editing room. End quote, Tarantino said. Even so, he thought that the honor could prove helpful in winning arguments with his editor. Quote, I'll be able to say, hey, you want to take a line out of my award-winning screenplay? End quote. Yes, you see, the Hollywood Film Awards have long enjoyed a wink-wink relationship with movie studios and A-list talent. Honors have often been given to movies sight unseen. And the selection process could be charitably described as quote-unquote vague with the primary criteria being the winner's promise to attend the ceremony but now the glitzy event started in 1997 by mozambique born entrepreneur carlos Abreu and his wife former the price is right model janice pennington you cannot make this shit up Uh, but maybe they can is preparing for a very public coming-out party. CBS has set aside three and a half hours to air the show in primetime Friday, marking the ceremony's television debut. Now, today is November 18th, as we record this. By the time this episode airs, it should come out on Friday, which means, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it when it comes out, it's coming on tonight. You... St- it gets even better though "Quote: we're designing this as the greatest kept secret in Hollywood End quote CBS executive vice president Jack Sussman said of the ceremony which will be attended by the likes of Angelina Jolie Benedict Cumberbatch and Robert Downey Jr. <clears throat> but the thing is the process behind choosing the award show's winners is D'Aubro and his invited, unnamed 12-member selection team make the choices. And then the names of the selection committee remain confidential so that, quote, studios won't lobby them for votes, end quote. But the thing is, is that award season consultants and high-level studio publicists offer... A different take, saying De Abro has always called the shots. "Quote: It's just Carlos and maybe his wife," end quote, said one Oscar consultant, who, like others interviewed for the story, requested anonymity to protect his clients from fallout. Uh, De Abro would not comment for this story. Now, what do you think, Tim? Is there's more to this story? But you can check it out again, latimes.com. But what do you think? I mean, this is literally, it sounds like just some guy and his wife. (laughs) Uh, The retired Price is White. uh, Price is White? Well, the Price price is is White, White, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sitting around saying, Ooh, I I want Quentin Tarantino to win. (laughs) And then they do. I mean, this cannot be serious. I mean, they're literally just making shit up. But now it's like they're trying to make it the 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 kickoff to award season and everything. I don't know. This just seems like Hollywood completely parodying itself and not being aware of it.
1: You know, and I I don't think this is good. I mean, if this is the case, it's not cool because won't this just kind of like uh, not? I mean, it like like diminish the look of the Academy Awards like will this make the academy awards look pompous and stupid and like oh they're just those are uptight white people that are you know voting for these movies we're we're new we're hip we're fun come hang out with RDJ I, and QT and AJ Pitts
0: and let's you, you got me dude i
1: yeah i, the, I that's no really the one thing that i'd be worried about is if uh, if they're trying if uh, it's it's like the MTV movie awards you know, it's like we ha- we already have one of those. I'm not saying it's going to be like that. I really don't know how the ceremony is going to be. But, uh, you know, if it's going to be like the spirit awards or or like a legit thing. Sure. Why not? I mean, are people going to watch it? Probably not. But, you know, hopefully they're not just trying to be hip. And hopefully it's more of a legitimate thing than uh, what well, God if are they're choosing. handing out
0: awards before the movie even comes out. That's pretty...
1: <laughs> I don't, yeah, alright. What else you got, sir? Alright, uh, so my last bit of news here. Uh, a couple articles to mention. These are meaty articles, so there's no way in hell I'm going to get into them. Uh, the first one I want to mention is a meaty article from Playboy. And it's an article written by Kara Warner. Yes, Playboy still has awfully good articles. And this is actually a really good... Um, Interview with one of one of one of the greatest. You know,
0: I I just need to jump in real quick and say I applaud you for managing to have the pages unsticked prior to coming on this episode and talking about the Playboy article.
1: Well, I mean, that's when the wool sock comes in handy.
0: Ah, gotcha. It it blocks
1: any seepage. The wool just sucks (laughs) it all up. Um, I got.
0: All right. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on, sir.
1: (laughs) And they're knee highs too. Get that out of your head. Uh, Okay, so this Playboy, Playboy, Playboy article here, written by Kara Warner, uh, is entitled, Hollywood legend Kathleen Turner takes on Playboy's Lucky Seven, and her last meal is epic. And it's basically, they're just uh, talking to her about uh, Hollywood, and if she has any, you know, they have like, do, do women in Hollywood come to you for advice? things like that they uh they ask her other questions like do you feel like conversation has changed at all uh conversations about films and whatnot about the uh uh, award seasons even Uh, what was your first encounter with playboy because she did a spread in the late 80s i believe not not a i don't think it was a visual spread but i mean like a uh, interview spread kind of like this what movie uh, what movie scared you as a kid? What was your first car? Just kind of interesting things like that that I think a lot of people wouldn't associate with Playboy. and actually it's a it's a better article than some of the other uh, movie websites that I visit every so often. Uh, these people actually try to be different from everybody else. However, one thing in particular that was interesting, that uh, that I, that I got from this article that I will share with you is that she mentions that one of one thing that she gets asked to autograph more than anything else is a picture of her Jessica Rabbit character from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's funny because I think more people associate her as Jessica Rabbit than they do as uh, than than in Body Heat. In romancing the stone and, and all of that and i think maybe it's because a lot of kids watch um who framed roger rabbit and they just kind of know that and kathleen turner does in fact still have that low raspy voice uh it, it still does kind of sound sexy though she doesn't have those looks anymore but uh, it's still there and it's just a really interesting read uh it's maybe two four six six pages long ish something like that. Uh, it's from Playboy again and it was the Kathleen Turner article. And the uh, next little article I want to I'm going to talk about is it's pretty it's longer. It's like 15-16 pages long, but it is from it is from a website that I that is not listed here. But it is written by Amy Nicholson, and the article is entitled, After 33 Years in an Airplane Explosion, their Raiders of the Lost Ark remake is almost complete. Are they? They ask. And we talked about these kids some episodes ago, maybe 30, 40 episodes ago, I don't know. But they started this back in the, in the 80s, after these young boys went and saw Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark they loved it like most boys whenever they first watch uh, indiana jones any of the indiana jones movies they want to be indiana jones and so these young boys were uh were film were aspiring filmmakers and so they got the the home video camera the big ass camcorder which you had to rest on your shoulder which as a kid that proved to be more tasking than (laughs) than how camcorders are now uh and they went off to make this movie. And it wasn't just like, oh, let's just go outside and pretend we're doing this. No, they actually built sets. They had costumes. They got people from the neighborhood to come in and play characters. Uh, and they they worked on this for 33 years. A shot-by-shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the it was such an aspiring project that Spielberg heard about it. And he commented about it. And they actually had a Hollywood Premiere screening of this movie just within the past, I think, uh, six months or a year or so, just pretty recent. And so was just fascinating, and, and just they finally they finally completed it, and it was the one scene that they couldn't wrap their mind head around how they were going to shoot it, and it was that scene where India is fighting that big burly guy while the uh, the German plane is spinning around, which eventually it ends uh, in the you know uh, well. The big Nazi ends up dying. He ends up getting stuck in the air turbine and and dies. And so they're trying to figure out how they did it, how, how to do it. And they finally got money together. They made a replica of that airplane. They shot the scene, and they finally blew it up. They were able to actually blow it up. But even that proof-tasking... I talked about before how, uh, how one of the boys set their garage on fire, I believe, and one of them had to be treated for third-degree burns and well, this time the explosion was much bigger <laughs> than, uh, than intended. It was, it was, uh, I'm trying to, th- let me see if I can see how tall it was. The fireball was more than a hundred feet high. The shock somersaulted Todd backward, which I believe he was the one that was playing Indiana Jones. One, two, three rotations. He lay there unconscious as one of the documentary cameraman ran up to drag him to safety. The flaming wing exploded again then again now it was total panic the on-set fire trucks figuring this was part of the scene hadn't moved finally they caught on and sprayed down the flames only then did todd now safely 60 feet away open his eyes and said did we get the shot and all quotes and so it's just interesting it's happy to see that uh, not only that they were able to make this film but they were actually able to complete it Again, another really good, yet meaty article entitled, After 33 Years and an Airplane Explosion, Their Raiders of the Lost Ark Remake is Almost Complete. Are they? And it was written by Amy Nicholson, so Google it, check it out, and read it. Both articles.
0: Right, well, last but not least, For Me. Now, one of the movies we're going to be covering this week is Stretch, and... Uh, it's by all accounts probably going to be not the best movie we've seen this year, but probably not the worst. And yet, uh, you probably didn't hear about it because it didn't make it to the theaters. One of its stars, though, is Jessica Alba. And you have to ask yourself, how is it that Jessica Alba can afford to be in movies that don't make it to the theater or terrible, terrible sequels like Sin City 2, A Dame to Kill For? It turns out, it's because she's like super savvy business chick this comes to us from marketwatch.com courtesy of michelle Coffey. the question jessica alba asks every day as her one billion startup prepares for ipo yes you heard that right one billion with a b as in b- but what yeah Exactly, one billion dollar preps for an IPO. Uh, yes, two years after co-founding the Honest Company, movie star Jessica Alba is leading a startup that, with its latest funding round of seventy million, is valued at roughly one billion dollars. On his company, which makes environmentally friendly baby products, generates about 80% of its revenue from a service that delivers diapers and other items every month, according to CEO and co-founder Brian Lee. It's estimated that the company this year will bring in at least three times last year's sales, or more than $150 million, according to a Wall Street Journal report. Alba thirty three and the mother of two says she was inspired to start the company after discovering that many household products were filled with toxic chemicals. She said in a statement she believes investors are making, quote, a meaningful impact in the marketplace, end quote. Um Market Watch, this is an, uh, an interview piece. And basically um the one question she always asks herself is what's the R O I? return on investment and that goes into whether she's going on an acting gig a modeling gig doing something with her company because she wants to make sure that she's there for her family as much as possible i just was blown absolutely away again you can go to marketwatch.com uh to grab that article the question jessica alba asks every day as her one billion dollar startup preps for ipo um what do you think, Tim? Are you kind of shocked that Jessica Alba has a company worth, you know, valued at a billion dollars?
1: Uh, a little bit. Yeah, especially billion with the <laughs> I'm not the a little D. bit. But I gotta say, I mean, Britney Spears has her own product. Mary, The Olsen twins have their own product. Jessica Simpson has her own products. And I gotta say, if anybody, if any of these girls were gonna have a billion dollar empire or company or whatever, I'm glad it's Jessica Alba because uh, she's, I, I really, I mean, she's not a bad person. You know, she, I think she's consistently always been a good person and I don't think she's ever really screwed up in her life. You know, at least that's what it seems like, at least in her professional career. And she's been in some really crummy movies, but she's normally pretty good. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of good. I mean, I'm glad to see that she's actually smart about, (laughs) she's actually smart, period. So There
0: you go. And there you have it. That's all you can say. All right. So that wraps up the news for us. Um, I guess now it is time for...
2: Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim. Matt and Tim review and discuss The Deadline.com article Oscar Watch Captain America for Best Picture Why its Directors Think the Academy Should Take Comic Book Movies Seriously By Pete Hammond And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim
0: Yep, you heard it, folks deadline presents awards line yeah so this is an article um leading off with the following sentence don't they know the academy is basically made up of snobs The Imitation Game, The Theory of Everything, Boyhood, yes, but come on, comic book movies have no place in the best picture race. That became painfully obvious when The Dark Knight was egregiously overlooked as a Best Pick nominee in 2008. That led the Academy the next year to expand the number of possible BP nominees from 5 to 10 in an effort to include deserving popular fare like Knight. However, to date the expansion has only resulted basically in a larger number of the usual suspects that normally get recognized among the year's best. Give Oscar a small British picture any day, but Captain America? No! It's ironic that one of this year's major contenders Birdman does have a storyline involving an actor who played a comic book superhero, but the film focuses on the aging former superhero trying desperately to run away from that image. Huh. What do you think, Tim? What do you, what do you think so far? Do they have a point? Is is it really just too stuffy? No. No. You you don't think that there's ever been an opportunity?
1: I don't think it's too stuffy. I think... (coughs) so. Okay, so... Dark Knight Mm -hmm. was nominated. Sure. Uh, That was a good movie. Dark Knight wasn't nominated, was it? I think it was nominated. I thought it was nominated.
0: Yeah, it says, Painfully obvious when the Dark Knight was egregiously overlooked as a Best Pick nominee in 2008.
1: Okay, well, so it okay. It was not nominated. Well, let's see. What came out that year?
0: Oh, I don't even recall. It's That was six years ago. You know. But, for example, we have Captain America the Winter Soldier, okay, uh, which according to the article says, which, by the way, was good enough to lure Robert Redford back to Blockbuster Fair earned an excellent 89% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Marvel's late summer smash, Guardian of the Galaxy, number one grossing movie this year, ranked even higher with 91% positive reviews. Marvel's latest X-Men installment, X-Men Days of Future, Past*, Beat them both with 92%. So these are clearly not just movies that are making money, but they are also very highly-reviewed films. Just like Birdman is... Uh, I want to say it's uh, sitting at like 86 or something. Um, I know Wikipedia currently still has it at 94, but I don't think it's that high still.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the best-reviewed movies of the year. For sure. And And yet...
0: I kind of see where they're going with this. I... I...
1: But I think, to me... uh, If you don't Mm -hmm. mind me jumping in here... Oh, yeah, sure. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, you know. Okay, so... Okay. Probably... My favorite superhero movies that I could have seen getting nominated... Watchmen... Dark Knight... uh, Dark Knight... Yeah, The Dark Knight. There you go. The Dark Knight. To me... The Dark Knight was a great, was a well-made movie. You have the drama, you have the suspense, you have really good storytelling, and from beginning to end, it was just a well-made movie. But we look at the movies that were nominated for Best Picture that year. You have Slumdog Millionaire, you have The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, the movie Milk, and you had the film The Reader. Now you look at the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight was the second of a trilogy of movies, um, and that's kind of how the like the with uh, with with a lot of the Marvel movies that are going on now. In that, though, yes, Dark Knight is a really good movie, and I think if one or two of these movies weren't didn't come out this uh, the well one of the two of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture didn't come out in two thousand and eight. Then Dark Knight, I'm sure, would have been nominated because I, I really don't think what else could have could have fit, uh, fit into that to that slot. To be honest, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, long movie. It was a mixed bag. I personally thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It had uh, from it was a movie from beginning to end. Nothing led up to the mo- to to that installment of the movie, and nothing continued after that movie. Same with Frost/Nixon. Same with Milk. And same with The Reader. And I'm saying this even though I thoroughly enjoyed The Dark Knight. And Watchmen. Watchmen wasn't nominated for crap. Though I thought that was a really good movie. But it went up against all this stuff as well. Because Watchmen came out, I think, in 08. Or maybe it came out the next... Uh, yeah, no, I think it came out the next year. But with Marvel movies... And I even went back and re Winter Soldier this past Sunday. And... I gotta say, like though it's a good movie to me, it's not a superb movie. Same with Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed both of them. More so, Guardians of the Galaxy, but to me, it's not a perfect film. With Captain America, if you sat down and have, and if you had no knowledge of any of the, uh, the like the Avengers or the first Captain America or Iron Man, if you had no knowledge of any of those other films you would be a little bit confused as to what the hell was going on if you were watching The Winter Soldier because they constantly reference New York, uh, what happened in New York in the Avengers. They constantly reference other Avengers. They They reference stuff that happened in the first Captain America movie. And so if you were just to judge this movie solely as a standalone film, it wouldn't completely hold up. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it's not a solid movie if you look at it that way. So to me, that is why they, you look at films like Birdman, which stands up on his own as, as a, as a single solid film. Uh, you look at, you know, Boyhood. Uh, other movies are going to be probably nominated. Gone Girl. You know, you look at movies like that where those are all fantastic movies or really good movies, well-reviewed movies, but those are, in a whole, a solid film and so I that that's kind of where I where I stand at it or okay how I, look well, at
0: it. I would counter with this and again I, I would like to point out I am merely playing devil's advocate here um, uh, I for the most part agree with where Tim's coming from uh, but I do like the challenge that this article puts forward that uh, that it wants you to take a little bit of a different tack when looking, not at, not at comic book movies as a whole, but not to just automatically dismiss them. And here's why. They make a pretty good case. Um, this is, uh, let's see here. Joe Russo. All right. And of course, now of course he's going to defend Captain America because, you know, he was, wrote it, helped write and direct and everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Says, Quote, the moment we were able to cast Redford changed everything because it gave a deeper cultural context to the movie. Not only are you taking one of the most famous actors of all time, you're taking one of the most famous thriller actors of all time, i.e. Three Days of the Condor. And we're subverting his on-screen persona and his off-screen persona at the same time. He's a villain in the movie. He's never played a villain. And not only is he a villain, but he's a fascist. End quote there. Joe Russo said the film has a true, quote, civil liberties conundrum, end quote, at its heart, uh, but was actually written six months before the controversy surrounding the NSA leaker Edward Snowden uh, scandal exploded. He says also that it's a real movie, uh, quote, it's a real movie real filmmaking, and has really high aspirations in terms of what cinema can be and what it can do, and what our experience of it is, end quote. Now, they also go on to point out that that in many ways, their film differs, Captain America itself, uh, The Winter Soldier, differs from standard comic book fare, and they cite influences like The Manchurian Candidate, The Parallax View, again, Three Days of the Condor, and The French Connection. So, I think they I think they do have a valid point in saying that you cannot simply dismiss a comic book movie just because it's a comic book movie. I think that if you're gonna if you're going to give something universal acclaim and universal approval regardless of money because money hurts apparently you know uh, Birdman's made 18 million and Captain America's made you know 700 million also uh, virtually any movie released before May it, it, it never gets nominated in the first place most movies if they're not released until if they're released say like before October pretty much don't get nominated either um But I think that if you're going to give movies universal acclaim, legitimate universal acclaim, then I think that they at least deserve a spot at the table. And again, when it comes to the Oscars, it's all about who's going to be put up for consideration. The, The Oscars don't pick anybody offhand the movie studios lobby and they say, look at our movie, we want you to consider these movies. And these movies that are then put before the committees are then the movies that they choose from and put into the pool of, for whatever category. And, for example, Marvel, they're not touching Best Picture category with a 10-foot pole.
1: But I I do. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, but I was gonna say, it's like, but I mean, I, I think people do take movies like that into consideration if those movies really do deserve to be in that category because even with uh, i mentioned when uh, like watchmen not getting nominated for the 2010 academy awards but the blind side did for some reason but that same year district nine was nominated for best picture best director or, or i think it was nominated for best director it was best uh, for best writing uh sorry not best director but it was nominated for best picture and that is a is a is a sci-fi movie, and that kind of blew people away a little bit. So I mean, I think stuff like that is it can happen, but Marvel I think these Marvel movies are kind of in a state of not limbo, but are, are kind of in a weird spot because they are part of a bigger picture, to where it will be difficult, which is is, is a good thing. I think a lot of people they like how uh, the direction that. Um, gardens of the galaxy is going they're going away from marvel they're not going to join marvel quite yet because they want to do their own thing which is great which there is possibilities for uh for gardens of the galaxy to venture into awards uh uh, i guess quality movies so I, i think that's just kind of just unfortunately how it is for marvel is that they're just kind of stuck in well were were a franchise were a group of movies that rely on the movie that came before this movie, and though Winter Soldier, you know, like I like we were talking about, kind of you know goes away from that a little bit and does take that political thriller tone to it, but it's still a superhero movie with the sexy the sexy woman wearing spandex with the cheeky comments and, you know, all just just kind of like the same motions that the Marvel movies fall into, which makes them a Marvel superhero movie. But, you know, I, I do understand what you're saying, or what these guys are saying in this article, but I think it's just like, you know, it's, you, you have to do, I think there have, they have to do more than just having, you know, the political thriller undertones to the movie.
0: And I did look it up while you a Birdman is legit at 94%. So yeah. Wow. <sighs> yeah. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on that or, or on our, on this article. So please send us an email to the show at SLS or, or tweet at us about it at SLS cast or for me at nitwit twit. One, two, three, four, five. We would love to hear. Do you agree? Disagree? Um, you know again check out that article Deadline.com and again yeah please just, just let us know Um so
2: this do it concludes, or I'll
1: steal your socks
2: <laughs> and this concludes another Discussions with Matt and Tim next week due to the Thanksgiving holiday there will not be a third bonus segment that would be normal so that Matt and Tim can spend time with their families and remembering why they don't live with their families Thank you for listening to Discussions with Matt and Tim
0: and now, folks, of course, here we go. It's the last segment. It is the ah. <laughs> Yes. All right. So, as alluded to, Uh, Several times now. We've got Birdman that we're watching, that that we're covering this week. Stretch and Dumb and Dumber 2. Where would you like to start, Mr. Tim? Let's go with Stretch. Stretch. Alright, so. Stretch is a 2014... Action comedy thriller film. It's written and directed by Joe Carnahan. Stars uh, Patrick Wilson, Brooklyn Decker, Chris Pine, Ed Helms, and Jessica Alba. The Billion Dollar Girl. Um, all right, so this movie is about a guy nicknamed Stretch who drives a limo. Um, he was a cokehead. Uh, a drunk and a out of control gambler who got his who got into a terrible car accident and the woman he got into a car accident with he was smitten, uh, turned his life around and then a year later she dumps him for a millionaire football superstar and now a year beyond that he's kind of just barely clinging on to life as a limo driver and he gets stuck with a quandary of trying to keep his job and make $6,000 in one day to pay off his bookie. It was 12000 but after he quit gambling, he worked it out with his bookie to pay it off. And yet, his bookie changed uh, account holders, and they want all the money, all at once. So, naturally, uh, shenanigans ensue, and he's trying to get... Uh, this big fish who tips big, and yeah. Now this movie for me was um pretty good. Uh, it definitely has it definitely has some really great moments to it, and I will have to say that when movies that parody the celebrity and the outrageousness of Hollywood do so in such a pointed way it really only works when they are truly outrageous so they get David Hasselhoff in a cameo and they also get um, oh good lord Norman Reedus
1: you mean Ray Liotta
0: no Norman Reedus and also Ray Liotta Norman Oops. Reedus is one of the clients of Ed Helms. Remember the dead hookers in the hotel room? Oh, yeah yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's Norman, gotcha. Norman
0: Reedus. So they they landed it. They definitely got it. I thought that of all the crazy cameos that they did, those particular three, um, David Hasselhoff's was hands down the best. I just... I mean, <laughs> Viet Cong and, <laughs> and torture. It's just yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, when the movie shifts into a plot, it it when when it gets into its own plot and starts to tell its own story, it kind of shifts into this wanna be noir kind of thing, and. I get what they were trying to do because it's all first-person narration and so your protagonist is kind of telling you his thoughts and his stories as he's moving forward. The outrageousness works for the movie and definitely creates some interesting and uh, oftentimes fun-to-look-at situations and occasionally even pretty funny. But it just doesn't seem to hold itself all together all the time and is exceptionally predictable. And that's the kind of thing that when you attach a word like thriller, even though it's action comedy thriller, um, when you attach a word like that, you've got to be smart and unpredictable. And they totally failed in that part. Uh, but, the, but Chris Pine is really fun. Uh, Patrick Wilson really does seem to enjoy himself and I think that that translates into you having a little bit of fun a- as well while you're viewing it. Jessica Alba uh, is a small has a small role in the film. Uh, it's I guess important but it's not a, a large role. The end of the day 2.75 better than okay just about liked it. But the predictability of it... Um... And... And the lack of... Just... Laughter... Smiling at it is fun... Is fine... But... I didn't really laugh a whole heck of a lot... So yeah... 2.75... If you got nothing better to do... Check it out on Netflix... What do you got Tim?
1: I was... Kind of surprised... By this movie... Uh, it's directed by Joe Carnahan, who directed a few of our uh, well, one of my all, to- one of my favorite movies, especially one of my favorite Liam Neeson movies, *The Gray*. He also did the *A Team* remake, and he also did a little movie called *Smoke and Aces*, which was one of his first films. Which, in, by any means, it is not a great movie, but is actually a pretty damn enjoyable movie. Enjoyable or enjoyable, enjoyable, whatever but the issue that I take with this movie well I guess the main issue I take with this movie is that it takes about 20 minutes to get used to the flow of it it's kind of it's weird the movie is very sporadic and you're really not sure what the hell is going on because he starts talking to a dead person and it's just something like, like a lot of really bizarre things happen and a lot of story elements happen like one after another And you really don't know exactly what direction this film will go until the main action starts. And it's about 20 minutes into it. And it's about when you meet Chris Pines' character. And boy, does the movie take you on a ride. And it's quite entertaining. It's not like Shoot'em Up or John Wick or like that. You don't really ever launch off. But this is definitely one of those movies where if you sit back maybe with a friend, Uh, drink a couple beverages of your choice, Uh, maybe ingest something of your choice, uh, whether it be eating or smoking it, Um, there is definitely much enjoyment to be had. And the characters or the the cameos that Matt was talking about are pretty damn entertaining because I should have been totally turned off by them because most cameos I don't enjoy... Uh, especially when they're playing themselves and like matt says they had to be over the top you know and they they had to have like some of the most ridiculous dialogue and i gotta tell you this is uh, you, you you will not have seen david hasselhoff play this character at any point in his career i guarantee it and it is that entertaining um let's see i should have been turned off uh due to the beginning it taking a little while to get into it i think this is a movie that you that i will want to revisit just so that i can experience the flow in its full duration so i can actually enjoy the movie from beginning to end and i think the movie is only like 83 minutes long or 85 minutes long with credits so it's a pretty short movie and it And you're not really left wanting more, which is okay. You know, you get, you're fulfilled, which is nice. Even though the ending really isn't, I mean, it's weird. Like, the ending to the main action was kind of, but the, the ending itself, the last maybe four minutes of the movie, I thought was absolutely spot on. And to me, that attests to how great of a director Joe Carnahan is. And I think if it was left in somebody else's hands, maybe a more inexperienced director, um, they would not have been able to nail the ending. And I liked it a lot. To me, this was made by professionals, and it is obvious it was made by professionals. And the movie doesn't feel pretentious whatsoever, especially with the different, how dynamic the movie is, with all the layers it's trying to go for. It's trying to be goofy. It's trying to be serious at times. It's trying to be somewhat heartfelt. And, you know, for the most part, I would say about once the movie picks up, maybe about 85% of the time, it nails it completely. And I gotta say also, this is the second movie I've seen this year where I realize I actually live blocks away from all the shit that's going on going down i used to work off of ivar which is where uh where he's at most of the time during the last act of the movie which is kind of interesting whenever they talk about oh all the places are going to be meeting up at corky's and the other place those are actually real restaurants you can actually go there for a 6 a.m breakfast and have pancakes and sausage and all that stuff um but i digress i i give this movie i wrote down 3.5 uh, I did enjoy this quite a bit, and though I do want to say 3.25, I think I'm going to stick with 3.5 stars, because when it comes down to it, I thoroughly enjoyed it, so 3.5.
0: Alrighty. So, where do you want to go to next, sir?
1: Dumb, Dumber, and Ultra Dumb.
0: <laughs> well, that's the bummer. We didn't do that one. We did, however, do Dumb and Dumber 2. Alright, okay, so... Fairly Brothers, 2014 American Comedy Film. Um, It is the direct sequel to Dumb and Dumber. This is Dumb and Dumber 2, of course. The 2 is spelled T-O. Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels reprise their roles. And in this one, they are 20 years later and go on a misadventure to find um, Jeff Daniels' kit. Um, Or Harry, basically. <clears throat> now, I own Dumb and Dumber on DVD. I I, I was uh, 17 when I saw Dumb and Dumber, and I loved it. I still have fond memories of Dumb and Dumber. I will watch it occasionally and still laugh at it. That being said, your kids are going to love Dumb and Dumber, too. Um, I can tell you that right now. You are going to realize that you're 20 years older. (laughs) You were. Yes, you are definitely 20 years older. I smiled. It was a cute movie. Um, I really think that... Lloyd... Is more of an asshole in this movie... Than he was in the previous movie. Uh, but maybe that's just... Time taking its toll on the characters, I'm not sure. Um... But, eh, there's really nothing to say. It's the same shit. Um, so, two point seven five. You know, if you're bound and determined to check it out in the theaters, I'd see it during the day. Probably worth a matinee. Like, or for us here in in the Houston area, you go to Cinemark on a Tuesday. It's five fifty all day. All right, fine. Throw five fifty at it. Other than that, just wait for netflix or having a friend buying it or something 2.75
1: that is more generous i think uh than than i will be towards this movie this is a 1.75 movie for me it probably shouldn't be lower but i'm actually going to give it a 1.75 because to me there there was gl- there were glimpses of how the characters Were in the original movie, and I I I believe that these guys get are I mean, they could have they could have done those characters uh, again, and they do they do, and if they had a better script, better directors, this movie could have been, I mean, it could have been a very funny movie, maybe not as good, but it could have been much better than what we got. Um, Matt is right. I mean, the movie is definitely more mean spirited. Than it was, uh, then I think how the the original movie was more of like I don't know, wholehearted, goofy, stupid, dumb. Like the characters were just dumb. They were like children, which was interesting. Now they're like assholes. Harry is more of like an, or Lloyd is more of like an asshole, and it's just kind of. I mean, it was more annoying than anything else. Um, and it also kind of pissed me off that the Farley brothers were just. Going through the motions. They have to use... They use the same exact music cues that they've used since the first Dumb and Dumber movie. It's another road trip. Every single one of their movies is pretty much a road trip. Which which is fine. But what I really liked about their earlier films was their music selection. The music fit the characters. The movie. The music fit the movie. Now... Who's doing the music for Dumb and Dumber 2? Empire of the Sun. So it's more poppy. It's more kid music. It's it's young people music. It doesn't really fit. You know, I wanted to hear... Oh, what's the band that they used for... Uh, for... Um, for Kingpin? And they, I know they used it for some of their other movies also. The guys, they, you know, he has the, the one big guy who's always sitting down. He has the harmonica and... Oh... I forget what they're
0: called. Are you thinking of uh, Blues Traveler? M-
1: maybe. Like, they appear at the end of Kingpin, they're, 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 like, dressed up isn't as that, the Amish guys. Is it them? That,
0: yeah, I believe that's Blues Traveler, except the uh, lead singer with the harmonica, he's he got the gastric bypass, so he's thin now.
1: Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just, like, to me, that fit those movies. You know, the music that they used for their earlier stuff worked completely, even with um, with Me, Myself, and Irene. There's good stuff there, fever pitch. There's good stuff there, but then it's like their newer stuff, especially with the Three Stooges movie. They had to use the co- the corporate overproduced polished music to where it's like, oh, I think they just needed to have some money, or they need something to bring the kids in, so we're just going to throw this music in there. So it was a, mi- a mixture of poor directing, poor storytelling, poor music. <laughs> Uh, but also poor use of updating uh, the storytelling, like the whole thing about them going to the science fair and or the science convention, and he puts on like like too much was spent on utter ridiculous crap that doesn't exist in real life. And yes, there I mean some of, they go into some of that with Dumb and Dumber, but not to the extent of this movie where it just completely derails the movie, and it leads you to an ending that doesn't really feel like an ending whatsoever. And so it was just kind of... It, it was just more annoying than anything else. So, I mean, I can go on and on about it, but I won't. However, there are glimpses of, 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 of priceless stuff, you know, of, of great moments. And it, unfortunately, it's within the first maybe 30, 35 minutes of this movie. So, again, Dumb and Dumber, I give it 1.75 out of 5. Wished it was something better.
0: Indeed and agreed. All right, folks, that leaves us with Birdman. 2014 American Black Comedy Film. Um, this is uh, just a... Oh, my God, okay, there's... Yeah. All right, we got Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianac, Galifianakis, sorry, uh, Ed Norton. Um, you've got Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Andrea Riseborough. This is a very small, tight film, and it is very, very brilliantly shot. I feel like we need to do a new Three Squared so that we can talk about soundtrack-driven movies again, because holy shit, the music in this movie. Not to mention, cinematography was one of the most just eloquent. I know you, you, you don't think of eloquence when you think of cinematography, but that's just really elegant. There we go, that's even better elegant, um, because it's so expertly shot as to be deceptively um, single frame, uh, one continuous long take, it's just, oh my gosh, and the music cues, uh, I loved how they took, uh, how they were able to end scenes flawlessly, I loved how people literally understood their characters and this director I apologize because I believe I'm about to butcher his name Alejandro Gonzalez uh, Inyaraitu, I believe is how we're going to say that Uh, this guy where has he been all my life I don't know but I am definitely just dumbfounded by
1: not in America
0: (laughs) (laughs) indeed um. Uh, yeah, I am literally dumbfounded by how amazing this movie was. It is not a perfect movie, as much as I want to just give this movie five stars. There are two major things that I have problems with, and it's only going to cut it down to a quarter star. It's only going to cut off a quarter star, because it's still just... Oh my gosh, it's such so, so fantastic. Um, It's going to be 4.75, folks. I, I cannot... It's not... A five star as much as I, I love this movie, it's not five star worthy, and here's where it fails one unnecessary predictability. There are several scenes in the film, and, and he's very smart because I don't know if he felt like he wanted to keep it somewhat mundane and somewhat grounded, and that's what led to the predictability. Uh, there's a scene in which the characters. Of Laura, who's Riggins' current girlfriend, and Leslie, who's the first-timer on Broadway. Leslie's played by Naomi Watts, and then Laura's played by Andrea Risenborough. Uh, and they have, I'm just going to say, a moment. All right. Now, they're very, very smart. He's, again, very, very smart. Nothing that is in, that falls in the vein of predictability um, lasts too long. And in some cases where he uses it, it's really rather brilliant. There's a movie where, or there's a there's a scene where Michael Keaton he he has these seeming telekinetic powers, and there's a scene where he's tearing apart his um, his dressing room, and Zach Galifianakis, uh, who plays Jake, his lawyer, best friend, Reagan's lawyer, and best friend, comes in, and. If you're very, very smart with how you watch this scene play out, you will figure out something that I believe is left in their intent. I initially thought it was an error, but but I'm I'm convinced that it's not. So I'm not going to spoil that for you. Just be watching that scene very, very closely. However, there are certain things, like the way Ed Norton's character... um, comes off it's he's he's labeled as kind of like a it's like a firebrand you know he's he's unpredictable and he's kind of crazy and everything and then of course what does he do he becomes kind of crazy and unpredictable but he does it in such um nearly obvious ways but again when you see those things come down they don't last very long but it is enough that I feel that you notice it. The other thing that really got to me, aside from the predictability, was the ending. I won't give it away for you, but I really felt like... It it was attempting to be thought-provoking. And it was attempting also to show, I think, certain aspects of the film and of the character, of Rigan specifically things coming full circle for him and i believe it was set up so that the idea was the ending the final shots or shot as it were is thought provoking but it for me left more of a question mark than an ellipsis. And you have to just be really careful. Now, again, neither one of these things, the predictability that doesn't last very long, but I felt it was unnecessary, and the way that the ending plays out are enough to destroy this movie. But it does, just, it does keep it from that five star for me. So, 4.75. Holy crap, go see this movie. Wow, yeah. Take it away, Tim. Bring us home.
1: Yeah, uh, pretty much everything that he said, uh, I would say... <laughs> but not as well. Uh, fantastic ensemble cast. I want to see Zach Galifianakis play more of a low-key character like this, which I, I know he... I'm sure he's played this type of character before, but uh, I either I haven't seen it, I don't remember it, he is definitely not branded as playing... Characters like this. So it's a shame because I think he is a really good actor and he deserves more. And so I'm glad to see him shine in this role, as well as everybody else in the movie Naomi Watts, Edward Norton, other folks who I really don't know their names. They did well as well. Emma Stone, especially. Emma Stone has a really good monologue. Uh, when she's yelling, she's having an argument with her dad, and she's screaming at him, just yelling at him, and you know. But it's really good and truthful, and I mean, very honest work was put into this film. Uh, because this film, uh, I mean, whenever you're just looking at it, you think, yeah, okay. I think your people are are in are in, are, in, are in different camps. If you're just looking at the movie of you know as what it is, not looking into it. You're either going to think, oh, well, this is a guy that's suffering, you know, has some kind of issues. He thinks he's doing stuff, but, you know, really he's not. Or other people are looking at this movie like, ooh, you know, I think this guy is really, you know, I think this guy might have powers, you know. He must be a real superhero. But what the smart moviegoer will notice, or will eventually figure out as the movie goes on, that there is a deeper meaning to this film this movie is multi-layered and throughout the movie it leaves you clues. There's a lot of a ton of foreshadowing that might take a couple watches, but if you if if you're if you're expecting something or if you're able to pick it up if you're if you're really watching the movie, if you are drawn into it, i think you will i think people will pick up on it i mean you have depression you have lunacy you have death you have all this stuff and it's just fascinating and it all leads to the ending where some people don't understand it but others do and it kind of leads you leaves you with this interpretation like what does this ending mean but there's a lot to it. There's a lot to this movie, and so I challenge you, anybody who, if you've if you've seen the movie and you didn't catch any of it, to go and watch it again. Especially if you haven't seen the movie, to pay attention when you're watching it. Uh, especially since I'm sure a lot of people, whenever you hear people talking about this movie, they're not they're talking about how great of a movie it is, how technically f- fantastic it is, because how it exercises the um, uh, it, it, the, it, I mean, it's great cinematography, but it exercises the film in a film that it's a continuous shot. The entire movie is a continuous shot, but it's not really all that obvious, you know. Unless you're, unless you know it, or you're, you're, you know, you're paying attention to it, a lot of people really don't realize that it's a complete, a continuous shot from beginning to end, which makes that quite an achievement. And so that's what a lot of people are talking about when they're talking about this movie. They don't mention how layered it is, how the movie is meant to be deeper than I think what a lot of people expect. And so I implore all of you to look for that and enjoy it and soak it all up because this is a really good movie. However, I am kind of in the camp with with Matt. This is a 4.75 star movie for me. Uh, not absolutely perfect. Um, they could have done a couple more things, I think, to make certain things a little bit more obvious. I think "obvious" isn't a uh, the right word to use, but make it a little bit more like ah, you know, light bulb going off moment, sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, four point seven five. I thoroughly enjoyed it as well, and man, I'm I'm glad this movie exists. So. Go 2014.
0: (laughs) It's going to make our end-of-the-year episode kind of (laughs) tough. That's for damn sure. Uh, Alright, well, let's see here. So, I guess that is going to be it for this episode. Next week, uh, again, due to the holiday, we are going to have kind of a stunted episode. So, we're only going to have one movie next week. And that movie is going to be St. Vincent. That's right, folks. The new Bill Murray flick. Alright, so... I believe that brings us to the spiel. Does it not, sir? Spiel on. All right. Well, the music from the discussion segment, as always, is provided to us from uh, by music, MuseOpen.org. And all the other music, of course, is provided to us by our music partners, Crys of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both. Slash Cries of Solus. We, of course, are the SLS Cast. And you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show. It's all one word. The show at SLScast.com. You can send us a tweet if you want and follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can find me, Matt, on Twitter as well at nitwit12345. And of course, you can surf that information superhighway and try and find him if you can. Let's see, what else? Oh, yes, of course. You can also go to Facebook and search the SLS cast there. You can always, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. But until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Steve Martin, I get to say this. I like
1: a woman with a head on her shoulders. I hate necks. And this is Tim saying that if you're trying to look for us on Facebook, good luck. Because our shit was shut down and it has yet to be resolved. Talk to you guys next week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on
1: Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.